with a heart full of love and gratitude. I now take leave of you. The words of General George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. Thank you so much for joining us this week, as always. And we have a very special announcement that we want to share with you about uh, the new direction that our show is going. Uh, We are, as of this episode, going to be taking a pause in our show. Um, So much of uh, our world has shifted between COVID-19 And as we've talked about on the show about being nimble in the world, um, our show was born in a pre-COVID-19 world. We are now living in a post-COVID-19 world and priorities have shifted to a certain extent. And the way that content is being shared is also being shifted. So after a good amount of thought and consideration on both of our parts with a deep understanding and gratitude to you, our listeners who are with us every single week, we've come to the conclusion right now it's time for us to take a pause. Patrick, do you have anything you want to share? Uh, yes. I mean, what, what's interesting about this is while we're all working at home, uh, that, that my uh, job duties have actually uh, increased. It's uh, true. So, I mean, because in order to stay on top of this, and we're doing a lot of uh, public opinion pollsters, survey researchers, are really diving into this to, to make sure that we're tracking everything that's going on and not just the job that the president is doing on COVID and all the political questions, but really, how are people handling this at home? And if you look at the, the polls that Monmouth University have done and others have done, that we are actually sharing our data with each other. We're sharing them with outside researchers because this is just such a huge endeavor to make sure that we're tracking all the different aspects of this is how, the, how they affect people, that I am uh, just increasing the amount of work that we're actually doing uh, on top of the fact that we're now all both Ian and I are both at home helping with the homeschooling uh, with our kids and, and all sure. those other things that, that are going on. But, you know, also in terms of, of what this podcast was meant to offer uh, from Ian and my perspective was that, you know, we felt that we had something unique to bring to the table at a time when the norms of uh, constitutional behavior breaking down. Uh, that that was something that really concerned us deeply. Uh, it was something that, that we commiserated about when we first met and uh, felt that, that we could bring something to the table in terms of analyzing uh, how that uh, how that was playing out. And, and certainly uh, that was true throughout the impeachment process. For sure. But, uh, you know, this COVID process is, is bigger. It's different. It's changing a lot. And we're not exactly sure how it's going to change it, but it really is, you know, beyond the scope of what we initially thought uh, we were going to talk about when we started this uh, podcast uh, in the summer of last year. It's also a shift in experience, to, to do the show. Uh, there, there's one experience of uh, looking at the constitutional situation, also the political situation. We're in a very different world now, and we're, we're looking at fundamental issues of survival um, for all of us, for our listeners, for ourselves, uh, for our country. And uh, it's challenging. It's challenging to stay on top of the, the circus that we are in uh, on a daily basis, it seems, with President Trump. 
Uh, and there's a, a certain amount of relief that washed over me once Patrick and I uh, decided that this was really the best path. And we were both on the same page about it, um, that, that it was time for a pause. Now, we also had discussed and we will discuss the idea of bringing the show back in different forms um, because people aren't driving as much anymore, though our numbers have stayed steady. And we thank you for that. Uh, we, we, are, we have not lost listeners, but we're, we've talked about doing some video work together um, and finding a way to, to move forward. Cause I like Patrick a lot. We, we, mm-hmm. we get along well and we're, we're a pretty good team. Uh, but for now it's uh, best suited for both of us really, truly for both of us, uh, to take this pause. Uh, and that's why, uh, that's why we're, we've made this choice now. Yeah. And I think both of us, um, have, uh, I, I talked about my, uh, polling situation and, and where my contribution is. And I know Ian has been, um, have, has folks approached him, with requests about how he can contribute to the next path forward. Um, and so we're, that's what we're doing is that we're looking about where we can best serve yeah. uh, and, and, and making sure that we can put our energies into that. But before we do that, um, we're not going to go deep into where the patient is at this week. But what we would like to do is we want to talk a little bit about the political side of things because there was some really big news this week, Patrick. Um, Joe Biden this week in a in a live stream that was, I don't know if you haven't caught it. I'm sure you have, Patrick. But if you haven't caught it at home, this live stream between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden was fun to watch, at least for me. It was like it was like the Sunshine Boys. Uh, yeah. The old Walter Matthau and George Burns movie where the two of them are getting, no, you go, Joe, Joe, you go, Bernie, go ahead, Joe, no, after you. But it was it was fabulous and it was uh, very successful, I thought. I thought it was a good first step, which was then followed with Obama's endorsement and then Elizabeth Warren's endorsement. But what did you think of the live stream between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And that's, that's what we expected. We had talked about this uh, throughout the debates about there just seemed to be a rapport between them. Uh, they are men of a certain age, uh, <laughs> as you mentioned. But, the Sunshine but, Boys. Yeah, but but not just because they are um, of the same age or because they're old, but there is a shared experience that people of the same generation go through, and it's there's an unspoken uh, camaraderie in that. You yeah. know, they've seen things that others have not seen. Uh, and, and you know that they, that they know it with each other when they're talking. And so, so you get that sense, uh, from them. And I'm, I'm glad, uh, that, uh, Sanders finally did that because dragging this out would not yeah. have been good for the, re- for the Republic, regardless this, this of that, is, regardless ahead, of whether he, you know, his point of view was he wanted to stay in this race because he wanted to, his, to be a voice for his policy positions. And, well, I think that's and, what he's providing. Yeah. I mean, to me, having the two of them on that live stream together, I would recommend them doing that on a weekly basis. I really would. Even having disagreements about it. Yeah. I wanted to throw one little subtle thing that I noticed. You know, if you look back to 2016, whenever Bernie Sanders would say the name Hillary Clinton, he would take a moment before he said it and he would have a bit of a scowl on his on his face. I don't think it was deeply personal, but it, there was not warmth there. When he says Joe, if you look at the way he says Joe, well, Joe, he likes the guy. I mean, he yeah. genuinely likes the man. That's going to do a big part. It's going to make a real difference. And I think that it's going to be important for the Democrats to keep that going because the Bernie supporters there, I would say of the hundred percent of the Bernie supporters, and I think this would be an interesting poll for, for you to check with is Bernie Sanders supporters. What percentage of them right, right now? And then again, in a couple of months, what percentage of these Bernie Sanders supporters will support 
Joe Biden against Donald Trump, because I think that that's going to be a key thing. That's going to be a key difference in a lot of these states. And if you're looking at Twitter, it looks pretty scary out there still because the Bernie bros are mad. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, Twitter is not reality. And I think most of them <laughs> will go along. But yeah, you know, I tough. mean, you know, these are, there's folks out there that are always going to be all or nothing and don't understand that things that we've talked about, that revolutions that remain revolutionary end up failing. You know, whether it's the French Revolution or you, you can name a whole host of others, is because at some point you have to you have to segue from the revolution and transition into actual governance. However, which is, if which is what we Sanders, found in the American Revolution. I mean, this is what we keep bringing it yeah, back to. We would good. not be the United States of America if we remained revolutionary. If we maintained the Articles of Confederation as our form of government, uh, so that's what these. But folks if COVID nineteen happened in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Bernie Sanders and his messages about Medicare for all, all of his messages might have had more hold, really. That's why mm -hmm. I think it would be very valuable for Biden to keep Bernie, the best moment he had, Biden. You know, he does this thing where, you know, when Bernie, he knew that Bernie was going to endorse him. That was the plan. And then Bernie says, I'm, I'm behind Joe, right? And Bern and Sanders, uh, Biden kind of puts his head down and shakes his head and, you know, amazement. It's a little silly. It's like, you kind of knew that was what's going to happen, didn't it, Joe? Yeah. But, but what he said to him was so valuable. He said, I'm going to need you to win this election and to govern that was a great signal, I thought, at least to the Democratic Party. Might be a problem in the Republican, you know, in the general. But first, let's take care of the Democratic side. And I think that keeping that, I would like to see Joe Biden on a daily basis do a live stream with everybody. Do one with Yang. Do mm -hmm. one with Elizabeth Warren. Do one with Amy Klobuchar. Every day, getting some of their ideas. Say, yeah, that idea really does work. And how can we mold that? Because I think, you know, and Obama put this, because we're going to talk about Obama in a second. Obama, in his endorsement, the thing that was most heartening to me, one was, damn, why couldn't we just have this guy run? But the thing that was most heartening to me was when he said, Joe's going to surround himself with great people. And that's the truth. Because he's yeah. not going to put himself ahead of the rest of the country, unlike what President Trump does on a constant hourly minute basis. So let's start seeing that now. Yeah. Well, let's that's one of the things that Obama pointed out, which is true, is that Joe Biden has the most progressive platform mm -hmm. of any presidential nominee ever, ever. in the history of the republic. Now, yes. and, and what they're trying to, and what Bernie needs to be able to say to his followers is, that's true. It's not where we would have been if I were the, the nominee, but we're we're being very successful in keeping pu pushing Joe and he keeps going. In fact, you know, one of the things that happened right after the Bernie endorsement was Biden made it a couple of announcements on expansion of Medicare and on uh, relief of college debt. Mm -hmm. Again, not as far as the Sanders folks wanted to go. But I'd like to see him do a little bit more on college debt, not just right. for bankruptcies, but, frankly. Well, well, yeah, and that's, this is what I'm saying, though. The, 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 the signal is that we're pushing it further along. And the thing that you have to trust in Joe Biden and the people that he surrounds himself with is that their ability to push it as far as they can go. Because that, that's, you know, that's the Biden position is, look, we still have to get this passed through Congress. The question is, let, let's, keep testing, let's, keep <laughs> let's keep testing that, those waters. Let's keep pushing that envelope a little bit. I keep mixing how many metaphors here, but right. <laughs> let's keep pushing that envelope a little bit to see how much farther we can go towards getting um, San in Sanders' position. Because I believe deep down inside, Joe Biden believes in uh, universal health care. 
uh, sure. I, I believe that he believes that that's the pro- that's the best way to administer healthcare and make sure everybody has the right to healthcare. But he also realizes that under the current situation, you can't get there. But of course, COVID is opening the door that you might be able Maybe to push that envelope a little a little further. But you're not going to get there. Your best chance to actually get there is with Joe Biden. But like I said, if COVID-19 had happened earlier, the revolution, you know, this is the revolution. COVID-19 is the revolution. I want to say about Obama, watching him, it was very heartening. I keep using that word. It was very heartening to me to see President Obama go at President Trump so hard. Mm-hmm. When he was talking about the politics of today, the look of disgust on his face when he said carelessness, and it just flat out mean, right? Yeah. I was like, and he said, this is the most, you need to be engaged, we all need to be engaged. I was like, yo, President Obama, get your butt out there, just just from your living room, just do a little two minute video with him. Do a, do a, do, do a live stream with President Obama. Obama is like, is like Tom Hanks. He's a movie star. He's the biggest star we got. And to see him going out there and saying, yeah, I'm going to go swing at this guy. I've been taking swings from this guy for three and a half years. I've kept my mouth shut out of respect for being a president and what George Bush did for me. I didn't want to do it, but no, now we're campaigning. Now you can, you can fill in this blank for me, Patrick. Because in 2008, George W. Bush did not campaign. Why? Because his numbers were down in like the 30s, right? So he wasn't he wasn't going to be of service to John McCain. In 2000, President Clinton did not campaign because Al Gore told him to go stuff it. What? How far can Obama go, Patrick? How much can he be involved? Is there is there like a a, a weird point where it's too much or? All bets are off in a, in a post-Trump world. No, we don't have good data on it yet, although uh, Obama maintained his favorability ratings after he was out of office. And I think it's probably going to be higher now in in retrospect because of what we're going through right now, because that's what a lot of people are thinking. How would this have been different if the yeah. last president had still been president when this happened? Uh, I, but I see no downside to uh, Obama barnstorming. I just don't see it because people who don't like Obama don't like Obama. They're never going to like Obama. They're always going to stick with Trump. So that's not, that's not the people that you um, are worried about. I don't about. know if we call it, should we call it barnstorming? It should be like, it should be like living room storming. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, this- I'm thinking about after, after this is over. Right. Uh, so no, you, you can start. We're not going. I, but, I think but now, but I, I agree with you. Much. Even now, um, yeah, we should see much more of Obama. Uh, the, the, the danger, though, is in the yes. current environment is overshadowing Biden. You don't want to do that. Mm. That's tough because every time Obama comes on screen and he talks and he just said to all of the people who've lost people during this time, Michelle and my heart goes out to you. It was just like, oh man, can you imagine? Well, here's the issue. If Obama had been the president, I do believe we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in. I took a lot of flack for that yep. over the course of the last week from people. But I still go back to on December 30th, the CDC, which would still have been running in China, would have called Obama and said, yo, it's starting up. We got to take care of this. And Obama would have brought the leaders of the world together and we wouldn't be where we are today. Who do you think is the most capable world leader today out there? Who would you Who would you think... That? The, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm baiting you on this question. I think you, you can guess that. But who do you think is probably the most capable world leader today? I'm going to say Merkel. Okay. And, and that's the correct answer. 
Oh, and right. um, okay. <laughs> there you go. Good for you. Ding. Beat it and we, took the hook and yeah, nailed it. You nailed right. it. And and the reason because we've talked about her before that she seems she's just on top of things. Well, mm-hmm. what's the one country right now that seems to have everything has has it under control as much as you can have it under control, and is now already in the throes of making plans about what's it going to look like on the other side? How are we going to open up our economy? It's Germany. Germany is already at that stage because they have a really good world leader. And I think that goes with what you were saying about if we had Obama or some other capable leader here in the greatest country in the world, in the most powerful country in the world, who could have had much more leverage than Merkel had worldwide. Yeah, I think you're right. That not only in the United States would we be better off, but probably worldwide we would be better off um, as a whole. Which leads us to this question. What do you think between now and November, it's, which is impossible to prognosticate that far, what do you think this is the impact is going to be on President Trump in his re-election efforts? I don't know. And the reason being is because we are so dug in. One of the things that I've remarked on consistently in our polling since COVID is how little Trump's numbers moved. Remember, everybody was talking about the bump that he got at the beginning of the crisis. But the bump was only a few points. And I keep coming back to that. Every other world leader, every governor in the country got a significant bump. That's what happens in a crisis. This is because of our need to rally around the leader. We have a Mm -hmm. psychological need to do that. It's group cohesion theory. And Trump stood out because of his inability or unwillingness or both to be able to do that. So what that means is that everybody just continues to be dug into where they were initially. So if you look at it that way, that says that there's not going to be a much difference in terms of impact, and we could still end up with a very close election where we're looking at the margins to determine who the winner is. On the other hand, this is the number that I am looking at in our polling. So those of you out there listening, this is the number that I want you to, to pay attention to. We're asking a lot of questions about financial issues that people are dealing with at home. So we have an increasing numbers of people that we know from are filing for unemployment, and we see it in our polls, increasing number of people saying that they've taken a hit economically, but in terms of their long-term outlook, they still feel positive. They still feel that they're economically stable. And my question is, if the economy doesn't recover, there's a point where you would expect the short-term problems to catch up to the long-term problems or vice versa. Long-term problems will catch up with the, with the short-term problems and people's long-term outlooks will go downward. If that happens, then I would expect an impact on Trump. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem he's got is he's, um, what's the word? Uh, incapable. It's not, I want, I want a better word. He's, he's bad at his job, right? So being bad at this job suggests that over time things are going to get worse, not better. Because he's surrounding himself only with sycophants who only care about keeping their job long enough, whether it's because they think that they can do like Fauci and um, that he can help by staying in the job. But you've got to bow your head to the leader to stay in in business. Um, And so he's surrounded by people who are just feeding his ego all the time which is uh, going to be problematic because it's now April and we have, what, six months before the election. I, I mean, who knows? If he opens things up on May 1st and then we have to close things back up on May 15th, 
very likely could happen. How's that going to play? So there's a lot of a lot of things. I, I just don't have faith in him, the president, um, being able to steer the ship because yeah, well, the ship I, is the ship is uh, you know. I think that I mean that's obvious. I think we you know anybody who's been listening to us for the past eight months will know that that's where that's pretty obvious that he's he lacks that capability for whatever reason. Uh, and particularly in a time like this, to do oh, it well. Can you the imagine? question is, does it move people? Who yeah. does it move? And I just, it's so, it's so fascinating that even a situation, a worldwide pandemic like this, still isn't moving all that many people. Well, the people who are against him aren't going to move for him. We, you could be pretty darn clear about that. I mean. Even even when he has his moments of clarity and kindness, which are rare, um, where it feels like he understands what's going on, those people nobody's going to trust that. Going back to the alcoholic right. parent, nobody's going to nobody's going to trust that parent. On, but at on the same side, time, the people on the other side are yeah, getting they, are getting the, the the fake news. They're getting fed, uh, and, and we have that. We have propaganda, again, right? And the polling is showing us that 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 they that they see a different um, epidemic than others. Um, there has been a, a kind of a shift because. Now people are seeing it, not just watching on TV, what Fox News and all those other networks are telling them that the situation is, but they're actually seeing it in their backyard. So uh, they are uh, becoming more attuned to the reality of it, but still because they have that in the back of their head from the very beginning, that this was all some sort of plot against Trump, that they're still interpreting what they see with their own eyes through that uh, that very... Um, skewed filter one thing on biden i'm going to go back to biden for a second before we get into the vp which is going to be fun to talk about and i'm excited to to put down our thoughts um i actually think covid19 is a benefit for joe biden i said that immediately uh remember when i when i when i reached out to you i said i think this is actually going to help him it was right before super tuesday that it was the rumblings right. were happening um but also joe biden in front of a crowd of a thousand people ain't great <laughs> that's not it you, you know he's old and him sitting in his basement or living room i think at first it was like well this is not really a good look for him it's actually quite a good look for him because what he can be is the vanilla ice cream that you can fill in and make it taste like whatever you want uh, opposite you know the the kitchen sink with president trump so he's not going to make as many mistakes out in the world because he'll stay in a more controlled environment I think that's going to help Biden. I do think that that helps him um, more than if he were barnstorming through Minnesota and Wisconsin. I think uh, I, I agree think with this because that's what you want a steady hand on the tiller. So you don't want a lot of yeah. excitement. And that's what's what he can do when he's sitting there talking with other competent leaders, as you suggested, do these live stream with all these other folks because he's very good at that. And that's one of the things that Obama hit on in in that uh, I thought I, to me that the Obama endorsement, the, the one section of it that really stuck with me was he went through this litany of who Joe Biden is yeah. and what Joe Biden has gone through in his life, what he yes. has suffered so that Joe Biden knows what it's like to be in the shoes of, of the yeah. typical American and when you hear that and you see that and you see him talking about that and then you see him as just a steady hand that yeah i agree i think that all that stuff can work to his benefit and i if you're going to watch either the bernie biden 
live stream or the Obama endorsement, I recommend the Obama endorsement. I mean, watch them both. But that 12 minute video, my younger brother reached out to me and he was like, did you see the video? And I was like, I don't want to watch it yet. I was like, and I was like, I'm going to watch it tonight with Nicole. And, and we watched it and it was just, it was lovely. It was, it, it made you feel good about mm -hmm. humanity for a minute, yes. which is so much of what Obama brought to the table in 2008 and 2004 when he gave his big speech. So, you know, just a taste of that goes so far. There is hope and change. There is the possibility of, of a better day when he ended that saying, never forget that we can and we will and we can, we can, let's give it our all. You know, that, that stuff matters. And I think that as we get closer through August, September, October, you know, I think that, that people are going to be needing that as much as they need anything. As much as they want to see baseball, they want to feel like there's a, that there is a, a true light at the end of the tunnel. So if, I'm sorry, go ahead, Patrick. No, I was going to say, yes, uh, I agree. And so you wanted to talk about um, who's going to be on the ticket, right? <laughs> Come on now. Come on. We got to get this in. Yeah. So the the question now, I think... I, I had three. You added a fourth, right? So we and, I, to... and I think there are a couple more. But before we talk about the probables, let me throw this out to you because I've I've seen this in a number of places. So Joe Biden said his running mate is going to be a woman. Mm -hmm. All right. Now a number of people are saying not a, not a huge number, but some are saying that well maybe with COVID he can throw he can put that aside. What do you think mm. about that? No, man. I mean, you know, so to what, pick to pick somebody like Andrew Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo. Or, or, or Anthony Fauci, even. Uh, wow, Fauci, that's wild. I, Fauci ain't gonna do that. I, I just don't believe that. No, Fauci I don't. I don't do think that. he would do that. Either. And I don't think it's a good fit anyway. It's just another older. So what do you gentleman. think? What do you think? Can he? Do I, that? I, I look. I think that Andrew Cuomo is not having uh, experienced him now in New York for many years. Andrew Cuomo is not a vice anybody. <laughs> and he uh, he's very good in his job. He's not that old. If, if Cuomo can keep this momentum in 2024, 2028, even 2032, let Cuomo run for president. I think if Biden goes back on the idea of nominating a woman, he will be making a very big mistake. So I, I do not think I would not recommend that to Joe Biden. Do you have a different point of view? No, I agree with you on that. Uh, there are loads of competent, capable, experienced women to fill this role. And so there's no re to, to say that, oh, this situation has changed it. And now this situation is so tough that, that a woman can't do it <laughs> would just be, totally sink yeah. him. I, I, yeah. I don't know where we're here, where you're hearing it, but it's, you know, uh, it's just, well, a lot of it is, is media driven, you know, cause there's folks in the media that they, they like to stir up. I sometimes yeah. I get a, a lot of calls from journalists who just like start and it's like, you know, you're creating the story because mm -hmm. nobody else is saying this, but you, but you're asking the question and therefore by the reporter asking the question and me, me answering it, then suddenly it becomes, oh, here, an expert has, has said this. Well, well he said this because let, some let, idiot asked the question. So here, here's the answer to that question. There would be a, there would be a death knell move for Joe Biden. He yeah. cannot get away with that. No, 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 no. That, that's part of what he's bringing to the table. And a woman should be on the ticket. Darn it. Yeah. I almost said, damn it. So I'm going to say it. Damn it. A woman needs to be on the ticket. Damn it. So here are the four. You can add more to this list, but here are the four that I only see three, but you've added a fourth. You've added Gretchen Whitmer, who is the governor of Michigan. Let's just start with her. Why? Uh, because she's, sh she's showing herself as somebody uh, who's dealing with this. Michigan is one of the hardest hit states um, with COVID. 
she is that woman from Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, as uh, as uh, President Trump referred to her, and she has responded to that with a plum. The other part of it that word, I think I like is that. is like important is that apparently that she and Biden get along really well. They're basically cut from the same cloth when it comes to politics. Yeah, I think we need a different cloth. I, I don't know that that's... I also think that with Michigan being hit as hard as it is and with Whitmer being a popular governor, I think Michigan's okay. Um, at least that's my instinct. I, I, I may not be right. She'd not. She would not be one of my top uh, three choices. Personally, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are, there are a couple of others out there um, that I won't go into. Uh, well, just throw much, their names out. Too much, throw but their... three, I throw their names out. So the governor Please. of New Mexico, uh, Michelle Lujan uh, Grisham, so okay. uh, a Latina. Uh, okay. So she has been uh, serving um, for the past couple of years as governor, but she was in the House of, uh, uh, House of Representatives before that, so she has congressional experience. Uh, the two senators from uh, Nevada, uh, Jackie Rosen has only been there um, for a short yeah, period Jackie of time. Rosen. Catherine Cortez Masto, another Latina, has been there for a few more years. Uh, I think th- those names would be in the mix as well. Jackie Rosen? Nah. Not Jackie Rosen, but I think Catherine Cortez Masto more Maybe, so. Okay. Gina Raimondo is another one, the governor of Rhode Island. Yeah, is she's, another possibility. But she endorsed. She 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 made a she made a big play there by endorsing Bloomberg. And that takes her out of the room. And I, I don't think she, and I don't think she adds anything. But you know, most folks. She's are, an interesting player. Right, she, right. She's an interesting uh, governor. But also, she's more centrist. She's a, right. she's cut from the same cloth as yeah. Biden. I think. All right. So now we're going to get to the other three. Uh, uh, you got anybody else? No, I, I I think there are others out there. I, what I'm saying is, I think Biden is going to at least have his initial net wide. And as I'm pointing out, that there are quite a few. Mm, women there with, are with wonderful with, women with incredible Absolutely. resumes out there and experience oh. and and would bring a range of talents and skills to this job um but i think you're right in terms of who you're focusing on as as potentially the top 3 picks i just added a fourth and it's yes. rude of me not to have oh yeah well, how do we not talk about her <laughs> go ahead seriously so okay we have uh four people to discuss uh we have stacy abrams Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and the recently added Amy Klobuchar. Because, darn it, she was the first one of all of them to come out and endorse him and right. was incredibly key right. in him winning. Yeah, I think, said, I, think she just, we, I think she went into the background uh, versus Gretchen Whitmer recently just because of COVID. I think before COVID, we wouldn't have missed her yeah, at all. We wouldn't in, have missed her. Initial. But Amy Klobuchar, I, 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 look, I like Amy Klobuchar a lot. i big fan, huge great secretary of something state i don't know what do you want um but she should not be the vice presidential nominee to me um so i'm going to put her to the side unless you feel differently well i mean one of the things that you will hear a lot about out there is this old trope that the the you pick a vice president to try to win that state and the last time I think that happened was uh, Lyndon Johnson and as Kennedy. That was Texas. Yeah, right. <laughs> Kennedy's running mate back in 1960. Um, we've had loads of vice presidents who don't help carry their states. What the best vice president does is, uh, Pick ha- has done recently, is underscored who you are as a person. Now, Amy uh, Klobuchar does that for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. But 
we are in a different environment than it was. And, and this is what Barack Obama said. He said, you know, I would not be running on the same platform today that I did in 2008. Times are different. Mm-hmm. And I think times are different in, in terms of, of your pick for a vice president. So the, um, the vice presidential picks like uh, Al Gore or Joe Biden, uh, I think the, the, that time has passed. So I think that that's a strike against Amy Klobuchar in that if this was four years ago or eight years ago and Joe Biden was the was the nominee, I think Amy Klobuchar would have been right up there. Would have made sense. Yeah, I mean, but like Tim Kaine. I mean, she yeah. she would be a Tim Kaine-like choice better than Tim Kaine, unfortunately, because Tim Kaine was not great at, at that vice presidential debate. So, okay, let's break it down. Stacey Abrams... Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren. I'm going to say this about Warren. Um, well, gosh, I mean, I, for me, I would love it to be Warren. Problem is, the governor in the state of Massachusetts, as we discussed on a recent episode, is a Republican. And he is likely to also uh, name, at least in a temporary space, a Republican replacement for Elizabeth Warren. I think that's a problem. I think that's a major problem. And no, I think that's I, a, a, a big strike against her. Mm-hmm. That's something to think about as you look at the map going forward. Uh, th- with the way things are shifting right now, there is a a real possibility that the Democrats could actually pick up the Senate. Yes. So you can't. I mean, there's only and, but, but if they pick up the Senate, right? If they pick up the Senate, it would be by the skin of their teeth, and they right, can't afford 50, to lose fifty fifty, and you get the vice president, right? So I, can you afford seven months just to have Elizabeth Warren on the ticket? I don't know that you can. Personally, with Kamala Harris, I just don't think she's that good. We've talked about that. Look, if she's the nominee, I'm pro, let's go. Go Kamala. Let's go. Um, she did, I mean, California's in the bag, so you don't need that. The one that sticks out to me every single time is Stacey Abrams. She would, I think, bring Georgia into play, uh, maybe North Carolina into play. Um and she's good, man. She's good on camera. She presents a very strong presence. Like you, I look at her and say, you could be president of the United States one day. I don't look at Kamala Harris and think that. Now, she very well might be president of the United States one day. I, I do like Kamala Harris, but I don't love it. I don't love her. Um, so I don't know. That's my vibe. How about you? My vibe is this. I'm trying, trying, I try to put myself in you know Joe Biden's mindset. Who is Joe Biden and... What does he what does he think about? Uh, I think I'm leaning towards Harris, Kamala Harris on this and for a variety of reasons. I think a woman of color is important. And that's yep. why I mentioned some of those other names that I did now that they're Latina uh, that I've mentioned. Um, but uh, I think it has to be I think a woman of color would be really important, send a really important signal and generate enthusiasm Um and that's one of the things that we're still not sure about in terms of the African-American vote. While Joe Biden certainly uh, Popular. ran the table with the African-American vote on um, in the primary, as, as Hillary Clinton did, the difference is that Joe Biden, you pointed this out many times, Joe Biden has that reputation because he was the faithful uh, number, s- two. number two to uh, Barack Obama. So I think that Sam's been good said, but I still think it's it's important to pick an, an African American. So we're down to the top two here, which is Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris. I agree, and I, I agree. agree with you in terms of the skill set as as a vice presidential running mate, and and in terms of having the ability to do the job that Stacey Abrams has the 
the capability, the skills. But experience, what we've seen over the past few years, experience matters. Having been in the seat, either as a governor or having been in Washington, really is important in terms of learning what's going on. And Stacey Abrams has only been in the state legislature in Georgia. <laughs> That's so as, well, as, very powerful way, right. the leader of the state legislature. Yeah, but, st- but still, I mean, look, I know leaders of state legislatures. It's just, it's a, it's a different ball game entirely than when you're dealing with the Washington establishment. And so if she had been governor of Georgia, if she had won her governor's race the last few and had a year or so of that under her belt, I think I'd feel differently about her I get it. right now. And that's, I get it. that's the only thing, which means- It's just the skill set. The right. skill set matters her, too. Right. And I think she has, I think she has the skills, but you, you need to, to have the, the ability to put those skills into play to show, oh, this is how I use my skills. And now I'm, I, I am more confident in the way I use my skills and I'm not you know, just being but thrown in in the deep end. Wait, because wait, remember, wait, wait. That, that was the key with when, when Obama picked Joe Biden, even though Obama had been in the Senate for four years, that was all that he had been in Washington. So pick somebody, Joe Biden, who really knows how to negotiate with, with the Fair with enough. But Biden knows how to negotiate with Congress. But just in terms of confidence, Stacey Abrams is the queen of the confidence. Without question. You look at how, just oh, yeah. take a quick look at a way, the way Elizabeth Warren is asking for the job and the way that Stacey Abrams is asking for the job. Stacey Abrams had an article written about her, I believe it was in Vanity Fair yesterday. We're doing this on Thursday at 12 noon. I believe yesterday saying I should be Biden's nominee, essentially is what she was saying. I would be great as Biden's uh, vice presidential pick. I believe that was the vibe that I was getting. Whereas Elizabeth Warren last night was on the Rachel Maddow show. And Rachel Maddow said, so if uh, Joe Biden asked you if you would be uh, his vice presidential person, would you say yes? And she went, yes. In the most modest of ways. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I I'm no, just by, by the way, the, the fact that 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 either one of them are saying that right now is a change in how things have been in the past. Because you, you would never admit to that. You would never say yes. You would say, well, I'd be willing to serve in whatever capacity uh, Joe Biden asks me to serve, or you, you 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 dance around it without actually coming out and saying yes. I mean, Stacey Abrams has come out and said, hey. I'd make a great pick. I'd be the one. Look at me. And she also said, I'm also a big believer in consciously creating circumstances. And she's been saying that she's running for president in 2028. She's going to be the president of the United States in 2028. She's been saying that for about, Mm -hmm. I think, 10 years in her mind. There's something about people like that. And there's something about her presence. If If we take Warren out, right, and we just look at the top two again, Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams. Yes, I agree. Harris will do, uh, it has more experience in the job. But when Harris, when Abrams, when Stacey Abrams walks into a room, that's a star, baby. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a star. But here's, to have a star, wait, to have a star on the ticket when you've got someone who's not so much of a star, but more of a second fiddle in Joe Biden, ain't so bad. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the flip side to that, remember, is that you don't want somebody who's going to upstage you. And Joe mm-hmm. Biden has to be confident that that Stacey Abrams is going to sing from his hymn page, not her own. Yeah, and, that's and, a that, good point. and that and I think Stacey Abrams has kind of by putting herself out so far has suggested that maybe she will be, and somebody who's going to I don't oh man I don't want to use this but you know Sarah Palin 
And because know, because yeah, I, 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 I really don't I mean, want to compare her to Sarah Palin because she's, no, she's, she's in a slight. different world. But so, but somebody who like walked in and said, well, I'm a really, slice. I'm really not part of, I'm really not part of that team. I feel that, you know, Stacey Abrams feels that she has something to contribute, but that she's not going to be the loyal number two that Joe Biden was to Barack Obama when it calls for it. And I think yeah, Joe Biden I has to, has to feel comfortable that she will be able to do that. And she hasn't done anything publicly <laughs> that suggests that, that she would be. Whereas Kamala Harris certainly has. And I, I get think it, but Elizabeth Warren has to some extent. Listen, the, looking at this podcast, you could have chosen a partner who uh, had more experience in the political field, right? Right. Um, that could give you, because when you came to me to do this podcast, you were like, no, it's a good fit because I'm the man of politics who's been in this world for so long. You've now been in this world for about 18 months. And what you bring to the table is something unique and something special. That's how I see Stacey Abrams. I yeah. mean, gosh, and I, I speak, I'm not sure I should even say that. But the, the point is that, that sometimes a number two, which Abrams would be, having a star in that spot uh, is is not bad because Joe Biden doesn't mind seating the stage a little bit. Yeah. He's going, you know, but 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 you also bring up some interesting points. So, all right, final analysis. But but, but Stacey, Stacey Stacey Abrams is going to be on the national stage in some way, shape, or form. Okay, but I, I agree. I I agree with you there. Let's do this. Let's do who we think it should be, like the Oscars. Who do we think should be the nominee, and who do we think will be the nominee? I'll let you go first. I'm not going to say who I think should be the nominee because, well. No, come on. Why? Just who you think okay. today, on this date, if you had to pick, who do you think it should be? Kamala I think it's Kamala Harris. Kamala right. Harris, yeah. All right. And now who do you think it will be? I don't know. I think it's going to be whoever Joe Biden is most comfortable with. That's such a personal, personal, personal thing. What do you think? Okay. Who do I think it should be? Yeah. Wow. You know, I was pretty strong on Abrams, but you're making some interesting Sarah Palin points there, pal. Uh, I don't know who I think it should be, but I think I, I'm going to... I'll do the other one. I think he's going to pick Stacey Abrams. That's what I think he's going to do. And I don't know if that's right. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, that's the beauty of it. But, but, but see, that's that, that's for me as a pollster. Like when I when I have to tell you what the public thinks, I have to be right. But when I have to tell you what Joe Biden thinks, I don't have to be right. So I, right. I, I feel so. It's interesting that it's interesting that I feel more comfortable saying who I think it's going to be than who it should be, and you're more comfortable saying who you think it should be, but not who you think it's going to be. That's interesting. Okay, let's move forward now. Um, to our guardian of the week or guardians of the week. And Patrick, you put down uh, something and lead the way. Yeah, for the past few weeks, we've been calling out different uh, folks who have really been on the front line of this crisis, whether it's the governors, uh, the healthcare workers, the grocery store workers, the uh, delivery people, uh, you know, just everybody. So, I mean, our guardians right now, and they're truly not guardians of the week. They're guardians of making sure that we get through this and that that, that the nation survives. Are everybody who's putting us on the on the front line, everybody who's on the front line, putting themselves in harm's way mm. in order to do their job, whatever their job is, in order to keep this country running. Uh, those are our, our guardians right now. Yeah, absolutely. Every time I engage with anyone in the food service industry, whether it's someone who's dropping off 
uh, groceries if you're if we're lucky enough to get a, a drop off of groceries. Or if I speak to somebody in relation to that, uh, I just thank them because they're out there doing that so the rest of us can survive and live. Uh, it's amazing. Not to mention the healthcare workers. Um, just it's it's a it's a humbling time where people are being of such great service, and there's so much to be grateful for. And I want to say as a as a final thought for myself um, that you know I'm just thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful that for my family's health. Um, uh, you know, one of the, you, you've given us something good to think about, you know, just wake up every day and think of those, those three things that you've been uh, thankful for. Uh, but my daughter had a, a fever, uh, for a couple of days this week and, you know, we were all worried, what does this mean? Where did it come from? She hasn't been out of, out of the house. And you, you just start thinking about things that you normally don't think about there and that you take for granted. And, um, you know, just, you know, tr- the little things, uh, we decided to go out and plant a garden. Uh, you know, to do these things that, uh, you know, life, life will return. And those are the things that I'm thankful for. And I'm, I'm also thankful for uh, the ability to have uh, been doing this show with you for the past uh, few months, because I've had an outlet to talk about things in politics in the ways that I don't normally get to talk about when I am doing a radio or TV interview, where I have to stick to my script as a pollster and get to talk about, you know, how I really feel about the, the deep seated issues uh, about this nation and, and, and how great this nation is uh, and what a beacon it has been to the world with all its flaws um, and what we need to do to get it back on track. So I appreciate the opportunity that you've given me to be able to talk about those things. Oh, well, I appreciate it. And for my final thought, I'll thank you, Patrick, for coming to me about this a year ago and saying, hey, you know, we, we have these interesting talks on the phone that go on for like 45 minutes or an hour. We could do a podcast about it. Um, and it has uh, it has sharpened my experience of being in this world of politics. And I'm very grateful to you for that, Patrick, and for being a great partner through this process and doing all the editing, which is no joke, folks. Uh, you know, Patrick, we get off the air and then Patrick's like, okay, now I'm going to go to my next job, which is putting this whole thing together and, and cutting it all together from this and that. And, you know, and it's, it's appreciated what you've done. I've enjoyed my time working with you very much. Um, and I also want to say, you know, I can, my children are in the backyard. I can hear them in the distance. That's just how grateful I am that my family is healthy and that so many of my loved ones are healthy. Um, and making it through through this crazy time. And I want to thank you, the listeners, because we know who you guys are for, for coming and joining us every week and for sending us messages, uh, friends or people who we don't know at all, and just reaching out to us and letting us know how, how much you've enjoyed looking at the country and the world from this specific point of view. But my final thought is, once again, extreme gratitude to you, Patrick, and to all of you listening. Uh, it's been a real pleasure and a real kick to do this. And as I said, we're taking this pause. If you refresh your podcast and you see Guardians of the Republic, download it because we got something to say and uh, we'll be happy to share it with you again. Okay. Well, that is it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Uh, We're going to keep our Twitter account up, so feel free to reach out to us at GuardiansOTR or individually at Polster Patrick or Ian Khan on Twitter. Yes, and thank you. Thank you so much again for joining us for these past many months. We won't be back with a new episode next week, but look to us for us to return again in some way with some new projects. Stay safe and keep guarding that republic. See ya.